let's look. We're going to be in Luke 13, starting in 13.10. So if you've got an app, you can open that. And if you have the option on your app, um, you can choose the NLT version. That's where I'm at. Uh, It says, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. Okay, we have to stop. Um, There's so much cultural, so much cultural history just in that sentence. As Jesus was in the, on the Sabbath, teaching in the synagogue. So let me tell you about the Sabbath first. Sabbath was just a day of rest. You guys have probably heard of this. Um, In Jewish tradition, they, they took it really seriously. Um, You just, you weren't supposed to work at all. It was a day of rest. It was a day of glorifying God and you weren't supposed to work. In fact, some Jewish sects would count their steps, how many steps they took. You know, they'd get to so many steps, and they'd be like, oh, if I take one more step, then I'm sinning, so I can't take any more steps, which I think is kind of convenient on a Saturday if I don't want to mow the lawn or something, you know? Just count, you know, and this is the days before Fitbits, so they they had a, a strict religious thing, and that was honoring, they were trying to honor God by that way, by saying, God, look at how much I don't work. Um... And so that's what the Sabbath was. The, the synagogue um, where Jesus was teaching, oftentimes the synagogue and temple get confused. And the temple was one temple in Jerusalem um, where worship happened. Um, it was like the, the best place you could worship. They would go there at least once a year and worship. But synagogues, they were all over the place. They were like community centers. And they weren't so much... Uh, like churches that we have today they were uh it was a community center used by everybody and so if you were a traveler traveling through the city you could hang out in the synagogue and sleep there if you wanted it was often a place for refugees if um you were fleeing from your from something you could stay in the synagogue um and you could uh seek refuge there and stay there as long as um you wanted which is i don't know side note maybe we could learn from that you know um, for our churches today. Um, so it was, this, it was this place, a community center. They would have community meetings there, and of course on Saturday they would have times of worship. And so that's where uh, Jesus is here. Here I've got a picture of, an, of a first century synagogue. Um, that's kind of it far away, and here's a closer up picture of the same one. And this synagogue is really cool. It's one that Jesus actually spoke in. So like those stones and those pillars and those you know, everything there is like Jesus looked at, just like we're looking at, which I think is insane. And if I can place drop, if you'll allow me to do that, I've been there. It's a really cool place. And I would love to show you my pictures of this place, of me in them. But you see that second step to the right? I left my camera right there. It was the days before digital cameras and all that. I left my camera there. And uh, so we have no proof. So you can believe me or not believe me. Um, But look at it. You notice that it's in a rectangle, right? It's in a rectangle, and it's a little bit different than what we do today. So what we do today in church is I get up here, and I talk, and you politely listen. And then when I say something cool, you stand up and cheer and stuff, right? No? Okay. Uh, So you politely listen, and then at the end of our service, everybody leaves. Well, here, you'll see it's in a rectangle. Someone would talk. Someone would talk about the scriptures. That's what Jesus is doing here. And then they'd have a discussion about it afterwards. So somebody might be sitting on those steps there, and they say, Rabbi, what do you think about this? Have you ever thought about reading it in this way? What do you think about for this culture today? Um, And so they would talk about it afterwards, and that's why it's in a rectangle. All right, so now we can move on. We understand what's happening, where we are. Um, Luke 13, 10. One Sabbath day, 
as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been, be, she had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. And oh, how she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of working for work in the week, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed and not on the Sabbath. So now, this synagogue leader, he didn't get to be the synagogue leader by uh, being a big old grump, you know? Like, he's, he's, a, he's a respected guy in society. The synagogue leader, it's probably, it's not his full-time job. It's just something he does as a volunteer, probably. Um, he's probably got respect in the community, probably has a well-functioning business and a respectable family. He's probably a really moral guy. He didn't get there by accident. He's probably a really righteous person. But what an idiot of a synagogue leader, right? Like God shows up in your place of worship, in the place where like you're supposed to honor God the most. Like literally, God shows up. And I can forgive you for that. Maybe you didn't recognize Jesus as God. You don't see God every day. That's fine. But then a healing happens where this lady who's probably been in your community, um, there's probably a lady in his community, been in his community for 18 years, is crippled and then stands up straight and is completely healed in your presence. And your reaction is to be angry about it, to be like, that doesn't fit in our paradigm. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath and healing is work. Get out of here. You can't be in here. And so that's, my, that's been my interpretation of it. That's been my reaction to it as I've read stories like this. But as I take a step back, I see that like I can totally be this guy. Can you imagine... If somebody from this section like stood up and right now, like right now, walked over and then came over here and started praying for someone in this section, like while I'm talking, I would be like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> we, we don't really pray during the service. You have to wait till after the songs if you want to be prayed for. We don't do that now, right? There, there's a structure and uh, uh, order to things that we have. And when that gets messed up, we're kind of caught off guard, even if it is like something awesome, like a miracle happening. So we see this synagogue leader, he's indignant. And it's a word that we don't often see in Scripture, let alone used today. It's used seven times in the New Testament. And indignant, it's this uh, something unjust has happened. Uh, there's a righteous anger to it. The, the dictionary describes it as a feeling or showing anger because of something unjust. And the unjustness for this guy is that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and healing is work, and so you can't do that, especially while we're trying to worship God in our synagogue. So he's indignant about it. If you allow me, I'm going to play a little clip that's going to probably make you feel indignant so we can uh, feel what this, this Sabbath leader is feeling. So here's a clip for you.
Okay, okay, okay. Maybe have you guys had enough? I'll just I'll just leave it there. Okay. <laughs> so in case you were living in a cave in January and February, uh, this was the game to see who goes to the Super Bowl. And there's a ref, not the ref back there, but there's a ref like right off screen, right next to these guys. And and he didn't throw his flag on this pass interference. So the guy is clearly being laid out before the ball gets there. It's clearly pass interference. There's no doubt about it. The NFL even said the next day that it was pass interference. It should have been called. And Saints, I mean, when I, so the Bears are, are my home team. I love the Bears. But I can cheer for the Saints. I have nothing against the Saints because whenever we play you guys in the playoffs, we always win. So no big deal. <laughs> but... Um, so I was watching this game, cheering for the Saints, because I want to be in a Super Bowl city. That's so fun. And uh, I saw this, and I jumped up off my couch, and I was like, what? I can't believe it. Why would you not call that? And I can't imagine what some of you, like you diehard Saints fans, were thinking as you saw this. Um, cuss words, he says. <laughs> Just thinking them, right? Is that? <laughs> um so indignant, like every, everyone in this, in this city, in this state was indignant. I saw it on the news later that week. It like was on the news for a full week about this. People were indignant, like something unjust had happened. That ref cost the Saints a Super Bowl berth. And so we go back to this, uh, to this story about Jesus, and we want to see how Jesus responds to this guy. So we'll go to Luke 13, 15. And it says, uh, but the Lord replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? Or we can read that especially on the Sabbath. So what's this, so what's Jesus getting at here? He's saying that um, you, you take, you, you guys work on the Sabbath. Like, you guys are being hypocrites. You guys take care of your animals on the Sabbath so they don't die. And this here, and he, he kind of doubles up. He says, a dear daughter of Abraham. And he also, what else does he say here? Uh, he called, okay, a dear woman and then a daughter of Abraham. So kind of like saying how much more special she is than a donkey, right? And so he says, how much more should we care about this woman and care about her being healed over our donkeys who just need to be fed in the day? And so Jesus is just saying that this lady's important and God is at working, is at work in this lady's life. And who cares if it's on the Sabbath? Like, this is God's heart. God's heart is for people to be healed. So what's the synagogue leader missing? Um, it's obvious what he should act like. And that's probably, like, as soon as he sees it, he should, like, fall on his knees and worship, right? But instead, he, he's missing it. He's missing what God's all about. He's missing God's heart. He's wrapped up in a spirit of religion. He's too concerned with the rules and structures of the Sabbath that when the living God shows up to his temple and heals someone, he misses it. He absolutely misses God's work. It's something that if you would have asked him the day before, what do you live for? He would have said to see God, to be, to be with God, to honor God. And then the next day, 
when God does show up, he completely misses it. He's forgotten why the Sabbath exists in the first place, for God to be worshipped and glorified. And what better way to worship and glorify God than after he comes physically to your building and heals somebody? Of course, we do the same thing with religious acts. We forget the why behind them often. Maybe you pride yourself on coming to church every day the doors are open, and that's good, and it honors God. But it becomes an act of worship when you remember God's heart for why we go to church. Maybe you pride yourself on tithing, on giving 10% to the church, and that's good, and it honors God. But it becomes an act of worship when you remember why God's heart is forgiving. Or maybe you pride yourself on going to all of our outreach events, And that's good and it honors God, but it becomes an act of worship when you remember why God's heart is for outreach. Or maybe you pride yourself on serving on Sunday mornings, you know, being a greeter, doing sound, being an usher, all of those awesome things. And that's good and it honors God, but it becomes an act of worship when you remember why God's heart is for service. For me, I I can get just like this synagogue leader. I can get wrapped up in the responsibilities and tasks associated with the church that I neglect God's heart for mercy and grace for people. And so when God does show up in the church and does awesome things right in front of me, I can miss it because I'm wrapped up in the tasks of the church. I went to a a vineyard conference, a vineyard leadership conference uh, last week. And there's, it's just, we do it like every other year. All the vineyard leaders get together and hang out and have a big party. Um, just kidding. It's more like just a conference, and we have a good time. Um, but this pastor shared this example, like, and I thought this fit exactly with this. And I hope he doesn't mind me sharing it. He shared it in front of a 1,000 people, so I think I can share it here. Um, but he was, uh, he was preaching, and there's this can light. You know those can lights that some people have that shine on to the, like this. Um, that shine off onto the stage, and there's this can light right up here, and it was just flickering. And it was bugging him, you know, he couldn't concentrate. It was like going on and off, and he could see people in the audience were looking at the flickering light, and uh, he was really annoyed by it. So he like pushes through his sermon, finally gets done with it, goes down. The first thing he does when he gets down off the stage is he finds his associate pastor, and he says, hey, man, we got to get that fixed. How, how, how is that happening right now? We need to get it fixed immediately. Can you do something about that? And as he's talking to him, another guy uh, comes up down the aisle and says, Hey, Pastor, I am so glad to be at this church. A few weeks ago, I was baptized, and my life is completely changed by this church. Thank you for showing me God and letting God change my life through your church. And the pastor said, Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Are you going to do something about that light? And he, he immediately started talking about the light to the other guy again. And he, he's, he was missing it. And so he, he went to bed that night, and he thought about his day. And that scene came back to him, and it's like he was watching it from a third-person view. And he was like, oh, no. I totally missed the opportunity to worship God with this guy. Sure, I was happy for him. I was glad. But I was more concerned about, like, the things that had to happen with the church than when God actually shows up in this guy's life. And I didn't worship. I neglected to worship God for his light. So far, I've, I've only shared with you examples uh, with church. But that's mostly because it's my context, right? There's, 
Uh, we spend most of our time outside of the church at work with our neighbors, with our families, and God is working there. I assure you that God is working there. Um, maybe you have this paradigm for God that, or this box for God that, um, that you say that God, God could work here, but he really doesn't. Like, God, God doesn't show up at my work, but he could. He just doesn't, you know? Or God, God doesn't show up at the grocery store. He could, but he doesn't. Not for me. No, he doesn't. But he does. He's working there. I, last time I preached a few weeks ago, um, I shared with you guys that I worked at Sears Automotive, and I worked with some guys um, that were just like the most foul-mouthed people I have ever heard in my life. Like, they could put together a string of swears so beautiful and consistent and concise. I was, I was impressed by it, but also just like, oh, my. But that wasn't even the worst. So I, can, I can appreciate a good line of swears. Uh, but it was just like some of the things they talked about were just vulgar. Like, I could not, like, I'd never heard such horrible statements in my life. And so my first day, if you would have asked me, if God was working in that place, I would have said, absolutely not. <laughs> have you heard these guys? <laughs> They're awful. But as I got to know them, <laughs> as I got to know them more and we had conversations, I got to see like these little sparks of God working in their life where they were spiritual people seeking spiritual things. And that's most of us today. And I tell you that um, because I think that's the same in all, in all of our walks of life. When I go to the grocery store, I think there's opportunities for God to be working. When I talk to my neighbor or in my family, there's opportunities for God to be working. And it's a matter of us recognizing those and understanding that people do have a spiritual hunger and we can be a part of their journey. So going back to the synagogue leader, I think in addition to just being caught up in the acts of religion, he simply just lacked an intimacy with God. He knew God. He knew a lot about God but he didn't keep up a relationship with him. I have a brother that lives in Houston, just four hours away, and we have a great relationship. I love him a lot. We, I would say that we even have like a deep connection, but the more that I see, like we'll see each other a few times a year, and when I see him, I'll realize how much of life I've missed out on with him. He's, he's picked up new hobbies, new things are happening with his family, different stuff with his job and all that, you know? And so I think we're connected. We have a deep connection. We have a love for each other, but I don't really know him. I lack an intimacy with him. I don't truly know his heart and who he is just simply because we don't talk enough. We don't hang out enough. Um, and I wonder if we have that kind of relationship with God. You know God. You even say you have a deep connection with God, but you lack an intimacy with him where you truly know God's heart and see where he's working, just like the synagogue leader. And to know God's heart, you have to do and choose things that cause you to know God. We call this discipleship or being a disciple. Um, I, I heard it said once, uh, a definition for discipleship, and, I, and I've always remembered it, and I cannot figure out where it's from. I even Googled it. Uh, there's nothing out there. But it, sa it said, a disciple is someone who is rearranging their life around Jesus. So a disciple is someone who <laughs> rearranges... There, yeah, it's, it's a quote not by me. Uh, a disciple is someone who rearranges their life around Jesus. The image that I have of that 
is really powerful for me that everything in my life gets rearranged around Jesus. Jesus is the center. Nothing else. And everything else I do in my life revolves around Jesus. Um, you guys may know, and if not, here's a confession. I play an embarrassing amount of Frisbee golf. So I really like Frisbee golf. I, I have like 100 Frisbees in my garage. It's, it's, it's out of control. But I love it. It's so good. And there's this tournament in October. It's called the Capital City Crush where a bunch of people from Baton Rouge get together and we have this big tournament. Uh, you can win money and stuff. It's so fun. And I will do anything in my life to go to that tournament. Like everything else in my life takes a back seat to get to that tournament. So months ahead of time, I'll tell my wife, hey, Liz, this golf tournament, Capital City Crush is coming up. I'm going. He- here it is. Revolve everything around that. And then Leading up to the tournament, like three weeks, four weeks before, I'll just use all of my spare time to practice for this tournament so I can do well. So on my lunch breaks, instead of just hanging out, I'll go out to the field and I'll throw Frisbees and practice. At night, my wife will be like, hey, come watch Netflix, we'll eat ice cream and stuff. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to go putt in the backyard. So I'll turn on the backyard light and I'll just go practice my putting. I've got a little basket in the back that I practice putting on. You guys are just laughing at me this whole time. That's fine. I can handle it. I rearrange my life around that tournament. Everything that I do, everything that I think about for the weeks going up into that tournament are about disc golf. I rearrange my life for it. And this is what we should be doing for the kingdom of God. This act of being a disciple, of rearranging my life around Jesus leads to greater intimacy with Jesus. When our hearts aren't connected to God, we have trouble seeing him at work. And how are we going to recognize what he's doing in our lives and what he's doing in others' lives if we're not connected to him? It's out of intimacy with God that we get to see what he's up to. That's when we get to see what God's up to. When we, when we know God, when we know his heart, then we get to see what God is up to. The synagogue leader, he wasn't aware of the Father's heart. He wasn't aware of God's heart or what he was up to on that Sabbath day. He missed out on a life-changing experience. Can you imagine if that synagogue leader saw Jesus do what he did and then chose the opposite response, that response of, oh, wow, that is awesome. Let's go, Jesus. It doesn't matter for Jesus and what he's doing. The kingdom's going to do what the kingdom's going to do. God's going to work where God's going to work. But that synagogue leader's life would have been radically changed, radically different from that moment on. His spirit of religion would have been gone, and his heart for God's people, just people in general, would have been like Jesus's. And that's what what we have the opportunity to do. God's kingdom is going to work. He's at work right now. I don't think we have to, uh, to, to beg God to come work in people's lives. I think he's at work in people's lives, and it's a matter of us seeing where that is having an intimate relationship with God, knowing his heart, knowing what he's about, and then joining with him there. And we get to be a part of that experience. Let me share with you just some practical tips on how we can do this in our life. Um, So you can just ask yourself in the presence of God. So it's more like a prayer, you know? Um, 
but you're asking yourself in the presence of God, where do I find connection with God? What am I doing that causes me to know God's heart? You just write those things down. If, uh, if, giving, if, if giving is a way for you that connects you to God, write that down. Um, if coming to church connects you to God, write that down. If taking a walk in nature and thinking about the beauty of God connects you to God, write that down. And write down the things that you do weekly that connect you to God. And um, if you feel like that list is lacking, like, man, I do a couple things a week, but I don't feel like I really have that connection with God, go seek something out. Go seek out a spiritual discipline, which is my next practical tip. Try out a new spiritual discipline. Um, There are tons of them. If you've never heard of a spiritual discipline, a classic example would just be reading your Bible. That's a spiritual discipline. But there are hundreds of these things, if not thousands, that you can do that will cause you to feel God's presence in your life. Um, and so you can try one out. Just Google it. Google a s- list of spiritual disciplines and try a new one out that you've never done before and see, see what happens for you. And then my last practical tip for you is to simply ask God where he's at work in your life and the life of others. Ask that question. Say, God, where are you at work? In my life, where are you at work in my coworkers' lives? And maybe you do this every new place you go or every hour you set a reminder on your phone just asking God, where are you at work? Where are you at work? And then the second part to that is where and how can I work with you? Jesus, how can I work with you in this situation? And your box for God might be expanded. Your paradigm for God might be expanded through all that. Um... We're going to sing a couple more songs, two more songs. Um, will you guys stand with me? And we're during this time, as we sing, we're going to have uh, our communion available. And so we've got two, three communion stations, one underneath this projector and that projector. And then there's a gluten-free station in the back by that cross back there. Um, and I want to invite you to take communion Um, We practice open communion here. If you are a follower of Christ, you're welcome to eat communion with us. And um, if you're in a place where you're like, man, I feel like I want to reach out to God. Maybe communion is that first step for you, reaching out to God and saying, I want to know you more, God. So we're going to sing two more songs. And then um, after we sing... I'll come back up and I'll ask our prayer teams to come up after that. And if you want prayer for anything, they'll be up here after that second song.